Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There's a tale about a pastor who sat down on an airplane to fly home after being at a conference for several days. He pulled out his Bible and his notes and began furiously attempting to put to order to the sermon that had been bouncing around in his head. He was flipping through resources, writing down thoughts as they came, and occasionally staring out the window in wonder. Finally, his seat passenger couldn't take it anymore. His curiosity got the best of him, and he asked what the pastor was working on. The pastor reluctantly told his seat passenger, I'm a pastor, and I'm working on my sermon for Sunday. Not surprisingly, the man was immediately turned off. I've never understood the need to be a religious person. Seems simple to me. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I don't need a bunch of rules to help me figure out how to do that. The pastor nodded politely, somewhat relieved that he may be able to return to his work. After a few more minutes had passed, the pastor turned to his seat partner and asked what he did for a living. I'm an astronomer. Ah, yes, said the pastor. I've never understood the need to really articulate what happens out there. I have a philosophy in my back pocket that works great for me when I start to wonder about such things. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. How I wonder what you are. The astronomer on the plane suffered from the same condition as those interrogating Jesus in today's gospel. Oversimplification. The problem with oversimplification is that it only allows for surface level engagement and understanding of the matter at hand. Just to be clear, there is nothing about being a Christian or a follower of God that is simple. It is also worth remembering that there is nothing mandatory about any of it. One can live a very meaningful life without understanding how the solar system works or the ways in which God makes God's love known in the world. But that is a diminished way to live. Matthew's gospel tells us no one was able to give him an answer, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. If we stop asking questions, we've become spectators in the arena. If we stop asking questions, we reduce ourselves to a simple melody, something like Twinkle Twinkle. If we stop asking questions, we will find ourselves potentially successful but lacking in depth. The truth is that this passage is only uncomplicated when we don't bother to interrogate what shape it takes in our lives. Jesus is not subtle about the need to prioritize these first two commandments. Unlike the astronomer who has decided that there is too much dogma and too many rules that govern God's religion, Jesus makes clear what the priorities ought to be when he says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. None of the rest of what Jesus has been teaching and embodying will make sense 
without these core values. So the challenge in this morning's passage is to truthfully interrogate what this looks like. How do we integrate this teaching from Jesus into our lives in a way that becomes operationally significant? Since Jesus first raised the issue, humanity has sought to draw lines around what it means to be a neighbor and exactly who meets that criteria. Or, put another way, Christianity is comfortable in a bubble, but much different in real life because real people are involved. Loving your neighbor as yourself might look like never forgetting to be in touch on the anniversary of a death in the life of a friend. Loving your neighbor as yourself might look like inviting your choir director to have dinner with your family before rehearsal nearly every week for five years. Loving your neighbor as yourself might look like the neon glow coming from inside a laundromat on a Tuesday evening while laundry love is taking place. The story of laundry love began when one neighbor took the time to get to know another neighbor, More specifically, an individual who was housed got to know an individual who was experiencing homelessness in Ventura, California. In one particular conversation, a question was asked of the man experiencing homelessness. How could I come alongside your life in a meaningful way? His response was honest and practical. If I had clean clothes, I think people would treat me like a human being. If I had clean clothes, I think people would treat me like a human being. What a simple need, and what remarkable clarity he had in responding to this request. Since this initial conversation in 2003, the initiative now known as Laundry Love cares for over 100,000 people nationwide on an annual basis. The Laundry Love Initiative consists of regular opportunities to come alongside people who are struggling financially by assisting them with their laundry. Laundry Love partners with groups and local laundromats in cleaning clothes and linens of low-income or no-income families and persons. We see the laundromat as a place where strangers become friends. People are known by name. Hope is hustled. And the worth of every human being is acknowledged and celebrated. The currency of love in these neighborhoods is the cost of clean laundry, which provides the dignity we all deserve. Loving your neighbor might look like taking time to help with their laundry. Loving your neighbor might look like taking time to listen to a neighbor complain of her litany of health ailments when you're already running late. It's in that holy pause when you force yourself to remember that she doesn't have anyone else to talk to, and now you'll have a better idea of how to check on her tomorrow. Loving your neighbor might look like smoking ribs to take to your neighbor who is ill because you know he won't be able to use his grill for some time, and grilling is his favorite thing to do. Wendell Berry suggests that loving our neighbor also has economic consequences. He writes, the Amish understand that if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you become a neighbor to your neighbor. That is, you help your neighbor. 
And then neighborliness is not just a virtue, not just a biblical condition, a biblical requirement. It becomes an economic condition in which you and your neighbor mutually thrive. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you want him over there on his farm doing well. And that means he'll be able to come to you when you have a need. You get the spectrum of goods. You're not just going to heaven. That's a side effect. That's incidental. What you have already is a neighborhood that is heavenly enough. I guess my point is that loving our neighbors as ourselves could look like a lot of different things in any, different con- in any given context, depending on the day. And I'm not sure how much it helps to articulate who and when and how, unless we just need some ideas as to how to go about getting started. Jesus makes clear that the lifelong work of integrating a theory, a dogma, or a doctrine into the flesh is the work that is before us. Amen.